What's happening, everybody? Welcome to episode 43. Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live with Jason Rakitis. Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic is going to join us momentarily. A lot to talk about. We actually have a day game today. One o'clock matinee hockey for Martin Luther King Day in Boston at TD Garden. Ho-hum. Flyers are playing the best team in the NHL who've lost one game on, in regulation on their home ice. And they've won five straight on the road. So we'll see how this plays out today against, obviously, uh, a really good team, perhaps the best team in the NHL. Uh, let me tell you about Bet Parks first, though. You can get some action on that game. How about TK to score? First to score. He's coming off uh, a game where he didn't end up on the score sheet. That hasn't happened a lot this year. You can get him at plus 1,400 on the Bet Parks app right now to be the first to score uh, or first goal or last goal or plus 700 to score at all. Check out the Bet Parks uh, app. It's fantastic. It's the best mobile casino and sportsbook app you're going to find. It's easy to use, easy to navigate, faster to win than ever before. And right now, all Bet Parks users can use the promo code JASON750. New and existing. That'll get you a risk free bet up to $750. Terms and conditions do apply. Do yourself a favor. You got a lot of hockey action today. Get on the Bet Parks app, download it. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. January, New Year, great time to visit Conquerville Subaru. The work they continue to do in the community is unparalleled. Matter of fact, they were the first Subaru Nation Love Promise Dealer of the Year winner back in 2015, and they continue their great work with the Needmore Children's Hospital of Delaware, the uh, 15 classrooms that they adopt at Marcus Hook Elementary School, donating $500 each for classroom supplies, plus the donations of thousands of coaches. This is the time of year to uh, La Hispania Humanidad in Kennett Square. They've done that for a decade and continue to do it as well. So check it out. It's the new year. Uh, get to the uh, great dealership on Route 202 in Glen Mills. See the certified pre-owned inventory, the Subaru vehicles in stock, and take for a test drive. And also check out the service department where you'll get a free car wash with every visit. Do yourself a favor. Visit ConquerVilleSubaru.com and check them out on Route 202 in Glen Mills. And remember that Conquerville cares. All right, let's get right to the business with the man. We haven't had him on for a while. He was living out of boxes the last time we had him on. He uh, is, of course, Charlie O'Connor. He's the lead writer for The Athletic, co-host of BSH Radio. He's a ginger, and I'm surprised he's an Android user. Charlie? I am an Android user, yeah. My friends get very frustrated with that fact because they're all iPod users or iPhone users. So, But, you know, like the Android, what can I say? I would have pegged you as an iPhone guy. But anyway, <laughs> um, there's a lot to talk about. Obviously, we have a game today. And the team has won seven of eight. They've won five straight on the road. Scott Lawton is scoring power play goals. The team leads the NHL in shorthanded goals. Uh, Carter Hart, 12-1-1 when he sees more than 40 shots in a game. What is going on? What's kind of your overall assessment at this moment here on January 16th? In all honesty, I think the, the best way on my side to, to interpret this is that they're just buying into what John Tortorella is selling. I, I think the first half of the year, a lot of this was uh, number one, you know, and we've talked about this on the show is just that this is not a team that has a ton of talent, particularly on the high end side. So if they're going to win games, they're going to have to do it by doing it as a collective, you know, and, and buying into a system and, and really doing exactly what the coach wants them to do. And it takes time, you know, it takes time with a new coach to, to learn the ins and outs and expectations and all the details of a system. They've made some tweaks to the system over the last month or so to, to better fit the personnel as well. So it's not just on the players the, the coaches have adapted as well. But I think, you know, if, if the John Tortorella experiment wasn't going to completely blow up in their faces, it was probably always going to get better in the second half. And right now we've literally just moved into the second half. And I think that's what you're saying. You're seeing a Flyers team that is 
more playing John Tortorella hockey, add in the fact that I think they got some momentum off of that California trip when they were playing against some not so great teams. And now they're just kind of riding that high and it's clearly carrying over against legitimately better teams like the Sabres and especially the Washington Capitals this week. You see it, you can, you can gain momentum and confidence as a team when you have a, a clump in your schedule of slop. That's what that was yeah. with San Jose and Anaheim and Arizona. And that got the ball rolling. And they, like you said, they've taken it again now against good teams and, They'll take it into Boston today against a really <laughs> good team. I mean, that team is unbelievable. You know, one of the things, Charlie, that Torts talked quite a bit about, I mean, the Flyers did a whole series called The Standard on their YouTube channel. And we've heard about Torts right away when he was hired. I got to get that locker room right. It was fractured, blah, blah, blah. And the, the call to add the standard back in here to Flyers hockey and the culture, how much have you seen it move in that direction? Because you're in that locker room quite a bit. You talk to a guy both, you know, at game days and, and practice days. What have you seen from kind of a culture and standard standpoint? Yeah, I think they're getting there. I don't think they're all the way there. I think there's probably some guys who haven't fully bought in, but they've at least bought in enough that the team can play. I think the word that John Tortorella used after the Washington game in D.C. that I went down to cover was that we're just playing cohesive hockey. And I think that's a really good way to describe it is they're playing cohesive hockey, you know, the gaps between the forwards and the defensemen, you know, on breakouts, on the four check, uh, they're not huge. It's just, they're playing as a five man unit. And look, we all know what this team is. This team isn't a juggernaut. There's only so much that John Tortorella can get out of the Philadelphia Flyers. And you saw that in the third period in D.C. You know, the Capitals realize, oh, no, we're going to lose to the Flyers for the second time in, what, three days? Yeah. And it came out in the third period and honestly bulldozed the Flyers. They were all over them. The talent advantage was obvious. For the Flyers, they got lucky. I mean, maybe not luck is the best word to use, but they had Carter Hart. And Carter Hart basically saved them. And he stood on his head and held a 3-1 lead. But there, there is a, a talent weakness on this team that John Tortorella can't deal with in the short term. But what he can do is he can get the team playing a more cohesive, effort-based brand of hockey. And I think that's what's happening right now. And that's it, it's enough to win games. First off, it's enough to beat bad teams. It's enough yeah. to make them be a cut above the teams that are truly tanking, you know, like the Arizonas, like the, the Anaheim Ducks, teams like that. They're going to play Chicago this week. That's another team that's very clearly tanking. They're better than those teams. And it can allow them to beat superior teams and superior teams either A, don't take them seriously enough on a single game basis or just don't have their A game. You know, maybe yeah. the Capitals, I think, especially on Saturday in the first two periods, they probably had their like C-plus game. And the mm -hmm. Flyers, because they're playing cohesive hockey, because Tortorella is helping them get a lot out of the limited talent that they have, they can beat a good team when that good team is playing their C-plus game. Yeah, 14 saves in the second period for Carter Hart after giving up the one goal in the first on seven shots and then 19 saves in the third. Uh, that's how you cement it with your goaltender. And he would have, he's had some great performances this year. That was one of them um, for Carter. You know, with Torts, too, you, you mentioned, you know, the gaps are tighter and this team is scoring now. Charlie, they couldn't throw the puck in the ocean from the edge of the beach in the beginning of the year. It wasn't because they didn't get to the beach, but they just had didn't have the talent to score. And to your point about, you know, teams that are tanking there, there's, you know, teams with inferior talent um, that work hard and are coached well. And then there's teams with inferior talent that don't work hard and aren't coached. well. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we saw that, uh, especially with Anaheim, but, you know, covering torts, 
you probably had a preconceived notion before you came in this year. You probably heard from some people when he was hired uh, in the industry. What have you learned about him uh, since you've been covering him? Well, maybe I think you weren't the, expecting. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing, truthfully, and what's funny about this is that people in the media weren't the only people who had this preconceived notion. It's just this idea that Torres is a defense-only coach. Mm-hmm. You know, that is that's the uh, that's the narrative that, that comes out Rock around shots. him. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's not to say he's not. You know, defense yeah. is very important to Tortorella. Structure is very important to Tortorella. There are there are non-negotiables when it comes to John Tortorella. Absolutely. However, he's not that guy entirely. He's willing to let guys play, you know, play fast, go for, go for offense, take risks. Like I I did a feature a few weeks back on Cam York and I talked to Cam about, you know, obviously he, he got the call up. He's been playing really well. He's very much in John Tortorella's good graces. And I, and I asked Cam straight up, I was like, what happened to you in training camp? Because he was not this guy in training camp. I was there. I watched the games. I watched the practices. He looked thoroughly underwhelming. And York was honestly more honest than I thought he was going to be. And what he basically said is that he came into camp and he was so terrified of Tortorella and had this idea in his head based on what he had read and what he had heard about Tortorella, that Tortorella was just like, he had to play defense, 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 defense. And it was defense first. And that's the only way he's going to make the team. That's the only way he's going to, he's not going to, you know, be on the bad side of John Tortorella. And then when they sent Cam York down, John Tortorella basically went up front of the media and was like, what was frustrating about Cam is that I heard all these stories about this guy with offensive talent, this guy who can push the play, this guy who can can rove around and, and impact the game on a nightly basis. I didn't see that guy. I want to see that guy. And York basically to be that told at the me, NHL. Yeah. Yeah. And York basically told me that it took a while for me to accept that my preconceived notion of John Tortorella was not correct. That John Tortorella is willing and not only willing, but wants me to play as he put it, more like a rover. And that's not what a lot of people think of when they think of John Torrell. They think, you know, he benches guys and he scratches guys if they make a defensive mistake. And you know what? There's truth to that. We're seeing that with Kevin Hayes. But there is a, there's a give and take there. And I think what we're seeing here is that he's not this, you know, stick in the mud, only play defense, only win games 2-1 type of coach that a lot of people, I think, going in felt like he was. I think that Cam, that's a great question that you asked him. And I love the response that he gave. Uh, I would love for him to sit down with the guy who's not playing the rest of the year and Zach Warinsky, because he was kind of that guy in, you know, you got to do certain things in the D zone because you are a defenseman, but I I don't want you to play safe because your greatest skill is to push the pace and push the puck up the ice. And Cam's doing that now and he looks far different. Um, The other thing with Torts, he's very philosophical. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know that he was like this in Tampa or New York. I talked to some people um, and I think he was a coach then, Charlie, but I think he's more of a professor now. <laughs> he, he's got yeah. another degree. It, it's fair. And I think a lot of it, and he's acknowledged this, that he had to change, that he yeah. had to adjust evolve. the way he coaches. He had to evolve. And that's the only way he was going to stay in the game because honestly, the players had changed and not just the players, but the players as people. You know, they needed a different type of coach. And Tortorella said that, you know, when he was in Tampa, he kind of like scripted everything out. You know, if if this guy does this in the neutral zone, you do this. And if this guy does this, you do this. It was very much like, you know, 
if A, then B, if B, then C. And he tried to basically coach the players to do exactly what he wanted them to do. And what he said is that these players, you know, over the last decade or so, you can't do that because they'll chafe under it. They will, they want that freedom. They want that ability to freelance a little bit and to feel like they're making decisions that they're not just doing exactly what the coach tells them at every moment of the game. And to Tortorella's credit, he adapted. Now he's still John Tortorella. I mean, he's still going to, you know, bench Tony D'Angelo for two periods if he has an awful turnover and then has a really bad shift to start the next period. Like, He's still John Tortorella. He's still, still in his DNA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, for lack of a better term, like he's still a hard ass. He is. But there is more give. You know, there is more of, I understand that the player today is different than the player even 15 years ago. And I need to adapt if I'm not going to die in this league, for, again, for lack of a better word. No players benefited from that philosophy of torts and that evolution of torts than Travis Konechny. 15 years ago, he would have drove torts up a wall (laughs) (laughs) and they would have, they would have clashed all the time. Now torts seems like he's really willing to, to let TK be TK. He's going to make mistakes. Everybody does, but he doesn't want him to then after a mistake, have the fear of God in him that he's going to play safe and not incur any risk going forward. And he's played his way through his mistakes he just ended that 10-game point streak with 20 points, didn't score in the last game. Has only gone back-to-back games without a point one time this season, Charlie. I mean, this guy has hit his, his absolute prime, and he's having a career. He's having a great season. Yeah, yeah, Konechny's been incredible. And, and you talked a little bit earlier about the problem of scoring, you know, with this team. Obviously, they they kind of lack the high-end talent of, you know, teams like Toronto and whatnot. Um, but obviously, one of the reasons why they have – been scoring a lot more is because Travis Konechny has just absolutely been on fire. And, you know, the more I I think about Konechny, it's, it's funny. He obviously had that real, really strong year in 2019, 2020, right before everything got shut down due to the pandemic. And then came back in the bubble, didn't score a goal. Obviously he was really frustrated. And then kind of the whole thing fell apart in Philadelphia. And the last two years have been, you know, I wouldn't say, awful for connecting but certainly disappointing you know he wasn't building off of that yeah he wasn't building off of that big year and i think there kind of there became a consensus particularly in the online community that that 2019 2020 season that that was a fluke that that was just a everything went right for connecting that was his career year and that's something that we can no longer expect in travis connecting and i i'm kind of coming around on the on the possibility that like Maybe the last two years were the fluke, and maybe this is a case of a guy who kind of got caught up in his own head because he got really frustrated about not being able to score in the weirdest bubble play, the weirdest yeah. playoff in in history in front of zero fans in a bubble. And then when the entire organization kind of fell apart over the last couple of years, and there was just it was just a team in disarray that it really ate at Konechny, and it just kind of messed with his head and. Now the things have a bit more structure and make a little bit more sense. And there's a coach at the top who is fully invested in this team's success and, you know, has job security and whatnot that Konechny is kind of just sort of picking up where he left off, except almost better because, I mean, if you think about it in 2019, 2020, you know, yeah, he, he was very good. He had a very, very good season. He nearly was point per game. He did it on a team with Sean Couturier and Claude Drew. Like he had a lot of help. He was on their lines a lot of times. He was on their power play a lot of times. Now, like, 
I'm not saying that this Flyers team top to bottom is terrible, but like, let's be honest. There's no Sean Couturier or Claude Drew on this team. Like yeah. Travis Konecki is doing a lot of this pretty much on his own. Like Joel Farabee's kind of rounding back into form after a slow start, but like Noah Cates is the one C right now, yeah, sort of. Mm-hmm. Like this is not a team that's, you know, like Travis Konecki isn't piggyback, piggybacking off of someone else to score his points. He's driving the offense. Yeah. And he wasn't doing that in 2019, 2020, even if he was the lead scorer on the team. Like the offense drivers were Drew and Couturier. Those guys are gone and Konecki's scoring at an even higher rate than he did then. So, you know, maybe this is the real Travis connecting, at least offensively. Yeah. In his prime, probably very well may be. There's three back to back to back 24 goal seasons. But as you mentioned in 1920, he did it in 66 games played. Um, so he was 29 goal pace that year. And then the bubble, obviously he still ended up with decent numbers in those last two years because <laughs> of the amount of assists that he had. But, you know, you need goals from a guy like TK. And you mentioned kind of that frustration of the pandemic and where the organization was. And I don't think there's any guy that it seems more evident to me that's dealing with that and having a hard time with that than Ivan Provorov. You know, coming in under torts and accountability, we know that press conference at the end of last year where he got really saucy with the media and you guys know it all, blah, blah, blah. And it, it really looked like there was no no self-accountability the way he presented himself in that press conference. And, but but his play, I think, has been good at times this year, but he hasn't re-arced on a trend upward like Konechny has. That's the problem. Exactly. And that's the thing where, you know, I do believe, and I think, you know, last offseason, I think everything was theoretically on the table for the Flyers. I ultimately don't agree with the path they, they actually chose, but I think they explored a lot of potential options. And I think that they at least discussed the possibility of, you know, looking to trade one or both of connecting or Provorov. But I think what it ended up being was that they looked at it and they're like, if we trade these guys, we're going to be selling low. We're going to be selling them at their lowest value. We want to see, you know, number one, if they could be part of the long-term solution, but number two, even if we ultimately have to trade them, let's try to increase their value. Let's try to, you know, rehabilitate their value before we do. Obviously Travis Konechny has done so, you know, I don't think they're going to trade Travis Konechny, but if they did they get a heck of a lot more for them than they would have got if they would have traded him last summer whereas Ivan Provorov basically just looks like the same guy that he's yeah. been the last two years like it's not that he's gotten worse it's just that he hasn't gotten better like Konechny has and I think there are a lot of reasons for that obviously there were you know the trade rumors that popped up last week because um you know Elliot Friedman talked about it in his, his 32 thoughts podcast about just the feeling that there's frustration you know frustration on Provorov's part frustration on the Flyers part and and my understanding is that you know that is the case and I don't think this is as straightforward as like Ivan Provorov is demanding a trade I don't think it's that but I do think that the Flyers know that Provorov isn't super happy right now and I get it like the team this seven eight game streak aside like hasn't been very good for three years He's the kind of guy who he's a competitor. And the, the funny thing is about the, the Torts thing is that I actually get the sense that Torts likes Provorov a lot. Like there's a lot of things about Provorov that Torts really likes. I'm not sure if Provorov loves John Tortorella, but I get the sense that Tortorella really does respect Provorov and his his willingness to to battle and his compete level and his willingness to to block shots and play hard defense and take the tough minutes without complaining. Like I, I I think there's an admiration there for, for Provorov, but I think Provorov looks at it as he would much rather be playing on a team that 
has more skill and obviously is winning more games that, that he can play the sort of creative game that he feels like he's best suited for. And that's not necessarily the game the Flyers either want to play or even can play right now, given their limitations from a talent standpoint, you know, and, and, and look, we, we all know that, that John, not John Tortorell, that, that Ivan Provorov isn't, you know, the most popular guy in the locker room. I'm not mm. saying that he's hated, but you know, he's not, part of the group where everybody is friends and you know as a player i'm sure you would love to be in a place where you are more loved in the room by your teammates so there's a lot of reasons i think why provorov has you know regressed over the last three or so years from kind of what i believe was his peak in in 2019 2020 as an all-around player when he was paired with matt niskanen and i think they just both sides might be reaching the point where you know maybe a change of scenery might be for the best and you know not saying they're going to be shipping him out immediately but i do think that they've they've talked about the possibility of finding him a new home and i think part of that too is probably driven by the fact that they know provost got two years left on his deal after this one and if he's not happy now there's no guarantee he's going to be happy in two years and there's no guarantee he's even going to want to resign. So yeah. if you, if you don't think this is a long-term thing, why not explore what sort of value you can get back for him when he's on a rental, he's got two more years left on his deal and another team might look at him and say, yeah, he might not be the number one that people thought he was going to be when he was 22, but he could be a hell of a number two or number three on a contender. And maybe that's the best fit for him. Yeah. A big thing that I think he has an issue with is not being on the power play either. Yeah, he wants to yeah. put up some points. I think there's a rub <laughs> there for sure. And, you know, with him, to me, that's more probably an off-season type move with two years left. And that seems like a little bit more complicated than a deadline move. Although it, it could happen at the deadline because, you know, somebody shot me a question on Twitter the other day and said, if you took if you traded Hayes and Proveroff and moved him out of the lineup, how much would the team suffer? He said, I don't think very much. And I disagree. I think they would suffer because the trickle-down effect there. And the guy does answer the bell every game even though he's not what, you know, we heard Norris talk and I think he heard Norris talk. And, yeah. And I think that's, so too. Yeah. I think, I think that was way premature, obviously. Uh, we got a question from uh, the stream. Jared Phillips says question for COC. Charlie O'Connor says, what, what is the ideal version of Risto 2.0 stay at home D uh, slash offensive upside. And can he hit that ceiling? If he does, is that player worth a $5 million AAV? First of all, he's got to do it longer than he's done it because this, this is a small sample size um, defending. But, it, you know, when you look at Risto and the changes he's made to his game, it's really dried up his offense and a guy that put up some decent points, you know, for three straight years in Buffalo. Uh, but what have you seen from Risto? Yeah, you know, I tweeted this out on, on Saturday, and it's something that has impressed me because, I, I look, I – I've openly been a Ristolainen critic, not even just since the trade, but going back to his time in Buffalo. Um, I, I saw a really limited player. I, I didn't like the trade. I really didn't like the, the contract. But I do believe that after, you know, really working really hard with with Bradshaw and John Tortorella, that, that Ristolainen has made some legitimate improvements to his game, particularly defensively. I see a lot less of him, you know, chasing plays, trying to, you know, go for the big hit and taking himself completely out of position in the defensive zone. And it's shown up in the numbers. He's actually been, you know, one of the flyers best defensive players in terms of isolated impact on, on expected goal differential really since he was, you know, sat down and they kind of had that talk with him and that's what the focus is. So it, it's funny with Ristolainen because he's long had the reputation in hockey circles that he's this, you know, 
big physical good defensive defenseman and then you know he can add 40 points he's got a good shot from the point he's got some offensive upside but if you really dived into the results his defensive results have been bad for pretty much his entire career and what I think the Flyers are trying to do is kind of trying to remake him into a actually good defensive defenseman, almost in the in the realm of like a Justin Braun from his prime. You know, when Justin Braun was a top four defenseman with the, the San Jose Sharks and was legitimately a good defensive defenseman. Not that he's bad now, but obviously he's he's past his prime. He's he's an mm-hmm. older defenseman. He he he's lost a step from where he was when he was in his twenties. And I think, I mean, it's possible they could do it. You know, Rissaline has always had all the tools. He, he's big. He can skate. You know, he's got the long reach. He's obviously not unwilling to be physical. He, he loves that part of the game. So he, he has the tools to be molded into a really good defensive defenseman. I just to kind of give it up on the possibility that he ever could be because he had been bad one for so long. Well, for this season, he's been a good defensive defenseman. Now, Jared makes an interesting point, and it's one I made as well, is that if he can be molded into being that kind of guy, is he worth $5.1 million a year? And the answer is no. Like, he's not. He, he He's probably, if he becomes a legitimately good defensive defenseman who scores 10 to 15 points a season, no, he's not worth $5 million. It's still a bad contract. But at least you're getting real value out of him that he can serve as a legitimately good number four, number five on a defense score. Like you've signed the contract, you've got him. Like you might as well get the most out of him as you can. Doesn't make the contract any more intelligent, but it's much better than every time he goes out there, the flyers are trapped in their own zone and he's running around trying to get hits and that they spend 40 seconds. Yeah. They (laughs) spend 40 seconds defending like this version of wrist aligning can be a useful player if he can sustain it, which we'll see. As you said, it's a small sample. That said, this version of Rissaline is not a $5.1 million a year player, and that's a problem when you're trying to win in a cap-centric league. That said, you know, this is an improvement. I've uh, th- This version of Rissaline is right much now. better. Yes, yeah. it's been much better than the one that we saw last year, for example. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen – I think one of the most beautiful assists this season was Morgan Frost to Alexander Ovechkin. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reason I bring it up is, is not because of the huge gaffe and you saw the, you know, Morgan was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. Yeah. And, you know, playing under torts, there's that fear of God that, Oh my God, I could be on the bench the rest of this game. And the next one after a turnover yeah. like that with that guy on the ice in that spot. Um, but he didn't get safe. He kind of kept pushing. Have you seen some maturation from Morgan because, you know, he's one of the, the poster child of, we need to find out what they are and what they are at the NHL um, this season in total. Uh, he's had some really good stretches. He's made mistakes. Uh, we'll kind of make the final judgment, I guess, at the end of the year. But what have you seen out of him now through, what, 43 games? Yeah, I think he definitely has more confidence. Um, and that was, I think, inevitable. This is a guy who, and I know some fans get infuriated when they see us tweet about these sorts of things at practice, but you watch him at practice. Like, he has he skills. Yeah, yeah <laughs> he has skills. This is a guy who can make plays that, in theory, like that very few players in the NHL even would consider making. The, the skills are there. So an improvement in terms of confidence was always going to help him. And I think one thing that's really helped him in that regard is just knowing that he's not going to get sent down to the AHL that, you know, his coach 
John Tortorella, shockingly enough, is not just going to bench him for the first mistake that he makes. And you saw it on Saturday. As yeah. you said, that turnover to, to Alex Ovechkin was horrible. I mean, it was awful. And then the final shift in that in that period, he basically just got rubbed off the puck along the boards. Like, he just looked terrible in that first period. And I was honestly wondering if he was going to yeah, be Tony D'Angelo. He was just going to get stable to the bench for the final two periods like D'Angelo was earlier on in the week. And Tortorella threw him out there, not just in the second period, threw him out there for the very first shift. And that, to me, sends a message to a player that, like, look, I know I screwed up. He knows I screwed up. But there's enough of a belief in me, and you're giving me enough of a shot to to make up for that mistake. And I think that's helping for us. Now, what is Morgan Frost? I don't think we know yet. You know, is he... Like, is he an NHL caliber player? Yeah, he is. Like, he can make NHL plays. He can keep up with the pace. It's not like he's getting destroyed out there. The thing with Morgan Frost that I always come back to is that for him to be an NHL contributor on a good team, he basically has to score. Because yeah. this is not a guy who I think is ever going to, you know, drive play and be a guy who the Flyers are always going to have the puck in the offensive zone because he's making so many little subtle plays down the middle to get them up ice, nor is he ever going to be a defensive stalwart. Like he's never going to have the value of a Noah Cates where you can put him out there against top tier players and he can shut them down. Like that's not going to be Frost. The only way he's going to make it in the NHL is if he scores a lot of points because that's really his only value. And while he's getting the opportunity and he's scoring more, he's not like, lighting the world on fire it's yeah. not like he's you know near point per game pace or even at like 0.75 you know per game pace you know he's about 0.5 and he went on that good run where he was he was point per game for about 10 games but yeah, it's two not eight point like, games against uh, arizona though yeah exactly that helps when you're <laughs> yeah. absolutely destroying the coyotes that certainly yeah. boosts your numbers but it's not like he's lighting the world on fire. He's not lighting up the scoreboard every night. So you got to wonder, can he score as an offense only player? Can he score enough to be a second or third line center at the NHL level? I'm not sure yet, but the great thing about this year is he's going to get the full season to try to prove that he can be. And that's exactly what this season should be. I know they've won seven out of the last eight games, but this is what the season is. It's finding out what Morgan Frost is so that when you make a decision on him at the end of the year, you can at least be pretty confident that if you let him go, that he's not going to go pop up in Minnesota and be a stud, you know, like Ryan Hartman was like you, you've learned about him. And if you decide to keep him, it's because you believe he can be, a good scoring middle six center who maybe gets you 50 points a year, you know, 55, something like that a year. And if you don't believe he can be that, then you say, you know, thanks for all your work, Morgan, go see if you can find a spot on somewhere else, you know, on somebody else's team. You're going to, yeah, you're going to find out either way. You're going to get a full year to figure it out. And he really never has had that opportunity, you know, because of injury, because he was down in the AHL and whatnot, he's never really had that opportunity and I'm glad he's getting it. It's just, I'm not, fully sold on him yet he's got yeah, another need, 40 games or so we'll yeah see. we need to see more um you know it's it not gonna end up being tage thompson <laughs> yeah i i don't think so you never know i mean hey if you would have told anybody two years ago that tage thompson was gonna be tage thompson i don't think anybody would have believed it so yeah, tage never... thompson wouldn't have believed it <laughs> right <laughs> i mean it's funny he got traded and then he like played two games that one year and then the next year i think he had 12 goals then he comes out 35 goals and i know the other day i think he's got like 32 now already i mean it's I mean, he's a big frame. Sometimes the guy that takes bigger guys a little longer. He's six. I mean, he's huge. But 
that's that's one of those rarities. Um, deadline is March third. What do you expect to happen at the deadline? You know, people are getting scared, Flyer fans, Charlie, because <laughs> they're going, "Oh no, are they moving closer to buyers than sellers?" <laughs> you know what I mean? We it was tank hard for Bedard. Now we we might be a buyer because we're you know nipping on the, a wild card spot, which I really don't think they are. But um, you know what's going to happen at the deadline? Yeah, I, I, to me, like the two obvious guys that I I imagine are still going to get moved are, are James Van Reeves, like and Justin Braun. Braun is more like if anybody wants him because I'm, he's yeah. not even starting on a nightly basis anymore. So there's a chance that no one is just going to have much interest in the guy. But you would think that somebody will toss the Flyers, you know, a fifth round pick or a sixth round pick or Rangers something just to pick up some. Yeah, just to pick up some some depth defensively. He's a veteran. Yeah. He's a good locker room guy. Van Reems likes the big one. And I think everybody knows that he's probably getting shipped out because he's a, he's a rental. The Flyers can retain salary. Somebody's going to want him as, as a, as a depth scorer on their team. You know, he can play some power play. He can play on the third line in a sheltered role and put up some points beyond those two. You know, maybe like if the Flyers really are motivated, I'm sure they could retain enough salary to make Kevin Hayes attractive. Yeah. I just don't know if that's a deadline deal. Like if they decide they need to move on from Hayes, that might be more of an off-season deal than a deadline deal. But you never know. You know, sometimes guys get moved that are unexpected. Like I remember that that year that um that Carolina got Vincent Trocheck at the deadline, and that was a yeah. surprise. Like sometimes those sort of deals come together because a team wants to fill a need and they don't want to fill the need with a, a rental because the rental prices are too high. So it's like might as well get a guy who can help us for a couple years rather than just for the next two months. So. You know, guys like him are out there as a possibility. There's obviously the Proveroff talk. To me, that's more of an offseason deal as well. But, hey, somebody bowls you over with a deal because two of their best defensemen got hurt and they want to make a playoff run. You never know. Maybe that's a possibility. But uh, to me, I don't see the Flyers as buyers. And that's in part just because, like, look at a guy like JVR. JVR, I think, has value. He will he will get people around the league that are interested in, in adding him. But – if the Flyers trade JVR, even if the Flyers are kind of hanging around the outskirts of the playoff race, let's say they're, you know, five, six points out of the final wild card. They're not really in it, but they're they're in it enough that, you know, you can at least dream. You trade JVR, you've got guys like Bobby Brink and Tyson Forrester who are pretty mm-hmm. close. And, yeah. like, are both of them worse than JVR right now? Yeah, probably. I mean, they're going to be rookies. They're going to make mistakes. But is it really that huge of a downgrade, even if you're trying to, you know, maybe make a miraculous playoff playoff run, if in early March they call off Tyson Forrester and he kind of has a somewhat similar skill set and he pops into the top nine and then boom, you're finding out something about a young guy because this is a, a fine, a figure it out year. And you've got a guy with goal scoring ability who can immediately jump in and take over that role. You know, obviously there's some hand in this things there, but I mean, you can move the lines around to make it work. Oh yeah. It's, and suddenly, you know, there you go. You trade a JVR, you brought up a kid who can hopefully produce 80% of what JVR is and also has the potential to be part of the long-term future. So to me, I don't know why they would hesitate on selling, even if they stay in the mix, because they have enough guys banging down the door in the AHL that could jump up and take over those roles if they sell off the guys who they're most likely to sell. Yeah, some people make the case that you, they may keep JVR just because of the chemistry uh, with Tippett and Frost yeah. and you know, helping those players along. But I agree with you that he fits in any locker room. He's a total pro. 
um, and they'll retain as much as they can to heighten the return. The second round pick is, you know, kind of where you think they can get for him. I think that's probably the best case scenario. Um, I could see him falling anywhere in the second to fourth range, but yeah, if you get a couple teams interested, I think they could get a second, maybe a conditional second, depending mm-hmm. upon uh, you know how far the team goes in the playoffs, how many games he plays, whatever. I don't think he pulls back a first. I think it would take a, a perfect no. storm of a Not bunch of year. teams being interested. But yeah. yeah, I think I think a second is is a reasonable hope. You know, maybe twenty twenty gets a twenty twenty four first. Yeah, now you have well, three. They already got the one from from Florida, and yeah. let's be honest, Florida isn't looking that good right now. So that pick They're could one potentially point be higher. <laughs> yeah, that, that that pick could end up being higher than we all thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's bananas. Um, you know that change that they had a lot of change down there, and um, J- and JVR is a guy I could see him ended up in Minnesota and signing there long term. Yeah. Um, and if you, some people are saying a second round pick in this year's draft is worth more than a fifteen and beyond first round pick in next year's draft. That's how Might much be. they're piping up this draft um yeah. last thing for you charlie how do things play out for the organ organizationally i want you to grab that athletic crystal ball that so many of you guys <laughs> borrow and and rub um how do things play out with the organization uh by the start of next season by the start of next season you know that that's a fascinating question because i back in december i thought i had a real handle on what was going to happen you know my based on the conversations I had, I had had with, with people in and around the situation was that the chances of Chuck Fletcher being the general manager come the start of next season were pretty slim. And that there was, this was like right after the 10 game losing streak, things were real bad. And I was getting the sense that if the flyers went on another extended skid this season, that they might move on from Chuck and they might fully pivot to the rebuild mentality that a lot of fans want them to pivot to. Well, now they've won seven out of their last eight games. Now what you're seeing is exactly what Chuck Fletcher was hoping was going to happen, which is the team looks more competitive. They're kind of coalescing under Tortorella. So to me, a lot of this really boils down to how the second half of the season goes. You know, if they crash back to earth and they, you know, go on another extended losing streak, maybe it plays out the way I thought it was going to play out in December where, you know, maybe they don't fire Fletcher in the middle of the season, but they move on from him at the end of the, you know, at the end of the season and they they kind of pivot a little bit in terms of mentality. If they hang around the wild card race, though, I mean, let's be honest, this is what Chuck Fletcher wanted. He he knew that this team probably wasn't going to make the playoffs, but he wanted them to make improvements. He wanted them to, you know, show that the Tortorella hire was the right one, and he wanted them to be able to convince ownership that a rebuild isn't necessary. If they have a good second half, maybe that happens. And I don't necessarily think that's the right decision, but you're talking about an ownership group that in the end, like they they want to be convinced that a rebuild isn't necessary. They want to believe they don't have to bottom out because they don't want to bottom out. They have never wanted to bottom out. And if the Flyers have a strong second half, that just convinces them of something they wanted to already be convinced about. So I think this second half is really, really going to be important in terms of deciding the the direction, maybe not necessarily the direction they should take, but the direction they actually take. Because I think at this point, everything is still on the table. They, they know rebuild might be necessary, but a few more weeks like these last couple, and it gives them the ability to, you know, maybe for lack of a better term, delude themselves into thinking they don't have to do it. Yeah, maybe a soft rebuild. Yeah, a diet rebuild. A diet rebuild. <laughs> yeah, like a saccharine free <laughs> rebuild, like a diet right. <laughs> oh uh, I mean, the other thing too is obviously no Couturier, no Atkinson, but who the heck knows what they're going to be if when they come back, uh, if, if when they come, they come back. back. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, just um, th- this assumption that they're going to be 100% what they were before, I think, is a huge leap when you look at the – I mean, Katuri hasn't played a hockey game since December of 2021. I mean, yeah. we're in 23 now, so it's crazy. Yeah. Um, Charlie, this was awesome. Game time coming up here at one o'clock. Uh, Flyers and Bruins. Do they keep? Do they shock the world and get a win over the Bruins? Hand them their second regulation loss and win a six straight road game. Uh, I don't think so, but I will say if, <laughs> if if they do, you know, I think if they beat the Bruins, especially because it's a matinee game, a lot of people are going to be paying attention. I think you're going to see a lot of stories popping out in the national media of like. Did we count out the Flyers too soon? So mm-hmm. this is a big game. I don't think they win this game. I think the Bruins are just too good. But this is an opportunity for them to, on a big stage, you know, sort of serve notice that we're not the tanking team you thought we were. Yeah. The people will be putting their lawn chairs out, reserving a spot on Broad Street if they win today. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't Mc- think I don't think that's so that that's so <laughs> much. But hey, you never know. Jim Montgomery, probably the uh, uh, Jack Adams winner at this point. John Tortorella, two first-year coaches with their teams, um, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. Charlie, this was great. Uh, read Charlie's stuff at The Athletic. He does great work. Follow him on uh, Twitter, at Charlie Kahn. Uh, I always uh, love talking to you, man. Enjoy the game today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jason. There he is. Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic. Fantastic stuff. Boy, we covered a ton in that conversation. Oh, my goodness. Everything I wrote down that I wanted to get to, we got to. And a little bit more. So um, that was awesome to have Charlie uh, join us on this uh, um, Martin Luther King Day as the Flyers are taking on the Bruins coming up uh, at 1 o'clock. I'll be picking up the Flyers broadcast coverage in about 45 minutes. So uh, we'll get out of here with that. Let me tell you about Bet Parks. Fantastic sportsbook app. It's mobile. It's right in your pocket. You carry it with you everywhere you go. So if you're on the move and you want to get some action in, sure, grab the the Bet Parks app and uh, you can do that. Uh, player performances, same game parlays, live in game betting, you name it. It's all there. Futures, props, teasers on football. Playoffs are underway. What a crazy weekend it was in, in football. So get your action on the Bet Parks app. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. Also head down to Conquerville Subaru on Route 202 in Glen Mills. It is a fantastic dealership. Conquerville cares. That's why they support the Namor Children's Hospital of Delaware. They've been doing that. Uh, how about Marcus Hook Elementary School? Been doing that for 10 years. Uh, great getting coats for uh, uh, La Humanidad Hispania in Kennett Square. They just do great work in the community. So make sure you stop by the dealership on Route 202 in Glen Mills. Check out the certified pre-owned inventory and all the beautiful Subaru vehicles on the lot. Take one for a test drive. And also make sure while you're there, check out the service department. You're going to love it. It is fantastic, fantastic facility. Free car wash with every visit. Visit ConquerVilleSubaru.com and visit their showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills. And remember, that Conquerville cares. All right, that wraps up episode 43 of Bet Parks Presents Sick to Hockey Live. Everybody, enjoy the hockey today. We will talk to you Wednesday on a brand new edition of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Hold on so nervously to me and my drink. I wish it was cool in me, but so far has not been good. It's been shitty, and I feel awkward as I should. This club has got to be.